You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, we have something very special for you. We have a special guest joining us in studio, air quotes on that one. In conference room is probably more of what we should say. Uh, this week, we have James Gentile. He is the Director of Brewery Operations from Victory Brewing. Yeah. Welcome hey to the show. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Tim. How's it going? Hey, Welcome. good. Really great to have you here. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, I know it was a, quite a slog to get you all the way out from uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. It's conveniently on the West Coast at the uh, ASBC MBA National uh, Conference in San Diego, and I was able to take the train down to you guys in Los Angeles, and happy to be here. Glad the beer made it. Yes, uh, me it, too. Yeah, me too. We we did get a lot of it, uh, thanks to the folks over at Victory for sending all that out, uh, making sure that we did have enough for this show. <laughs> I, th- I think we do. I think so. I think we're good. Uh, it, it, here's my question. So was is this your first time out in San Diego? It was my first time in San Diego. It was my first, right now, it's my first time in Los Angeles as okay, well. Okay, all right. In terms of like the mental space between where San Diego is and where LA is, did it kind of meet your expectations or was it a lot farther? It was a lot farther. Okay. <laughs> I See, hear that from East Coast people all the time. So do I. My my thinking here is like DC and New York, they're they're like they touch each other pretty much, right? It's a train ride. When it comes down to Southern California, everything feels like it's just sitting next to each other, right? San Francisco is right next to LA. Yeah. It's it's kind of it's the all same in, state. Yeah. How far could it be? <laughs> East Coast. I mean, you gotta if you go New York to you know DC. How many states are you going through before you even get there? But in California, I mean, I could be going from San Diego to San Francisco in what eight hours would yeah, it take me? Pretty much. Yeah. And by train, what? it takes a good fourteen, sixteen. It's yeah. kind of our, our transportation out here is not what it is over on the East Coast. Um, but I okay, I feel very validated yeah. that this is it is kind of par for the course for what i hear from uh east coast folks new england folks it's like in the train ride you took this morning just to get here from san diego you could have probably crossed through at least four states oh easily <laughs> easily yeah <laughs> oh man i could have gotten to virginia in that amount of time yeah pennsylvania yeah so director of brewery operations for victory now i i don't know a ton about the brewing industry and how all the different um people behind the scenes work i mean yeah. i've brewed a beer and that's about as far as i've gotten it's just like that <laughs> is it is it just like that so what exactly does the director of brewery operations do it's uh it's exactly what you said it's home brewing on a on a much larger scale now it's uh it's got a little bit more going on we have three we have four different brew houses at victory um two that are focused on research and development that are half barrel um which is pretty darn close to your homebrew size of scale uh, next size up is a seven barrel. And then we have two larger production breweries, uh, 50 and a 200 barrel system. So it has to do with overseeing all of those brew houses, uh, and seller operations, making sure things are going to plan and staying on schedule. Um, looking at our production beers and seeing what we can do to improve them or, or make them more, a little bit more efficient. And then probably about half my time is spent working with our R and D team on innovation and coming up with new brands. And that's sort of how homegrown was born out of our R and D system It's probably the first really successful beer to come off of the uh r&d brewery that's awesome yeah that's great so i assume there's a lot of trial and error and tasting and sampling oh, involved yes. i I've, yeah. I've heard things seen you know stuff on instagram of like breweries doing like just massive amounts of like small samples yes how, how does that process of like developing a new beer go i mean you just literally just brew something or a few things with variants or? yeah it, it, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish i mean in the case of homegrown you know victory is great lager producing brewery that's sort of what we've been 
um, established with is making fantastic Pilsners with Prima Pils or Hellas or our Oktoberfest uh, Fest beer. Um, so we kind of had that in our back pocket. So we drew off a lot of that experience and then kind of integrated a lot of American hops to make home ground, for example. But if we're trying something totally new, like we're, we're developing styles that don't exist, styles that aren't styles. As um, anyone that goes out to breweries these days, you might find a new you know, IPA. We were joking at the conference I was at yesterday that the next uh, thing will be the Daiquiri IPA. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so uh, I, just a matter of time, I'm sure. Yeah, as soon as that... someone listens to this, they're like, at Daiquiri IPA, we're going to go brew it right now. Not... Mo- Modern Times probably is working on one right now. But... It's not that far <laughs> off, that's yeah. for sure. It is definitely getting a lot closer to Baskin-Robbins 31 flavors type <laughs> yeah. tap room yeah. than you are to, you know, just your regular Pilsners or sure. your uh, super heavy hopped IPAs. And, sure. you, you know, you've got four of them based on single hops and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's. It, 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 I'm kind of glad that that type of thing is happening, though, especially here in the U.S. It feels like there are no rules. It just it's Wild yeah. West still, and it is it, it is embodying kind of that homegrown type flair. Where in the U.S. we just we kind of do what we want. There's a couple things that the U.S. are pushing it in, yeah. and that are truly at the head of the class in the world. And I would say craft beer is absolutely on that list. Like failing. Is spectacularly, but also succeeding spectacularly, sure. hopefully. Sure. You, you got to have, you know, you got to strike out a couple of times. I hit a couple home runs. And uh, I, I would say craft beer is not afraid of doing that. There's tons of people drinking it. So you have people willing to try your good and your bad. And, mm-hmm. and certainly uh, this day and age, weigh in and give you the feedback, whether you want to hear it or not, good <laughs> or bad, you are going to get feedback. Whether, whether it's on Untapped or on other social platforms, I'm sure people are yeah. more than willing to spend the time to let you know what they yeah. think. No one's coming up and shouting my face and saying that beer was terrible, but uh, <laughs> but sometimes I'll see stuff online and I'll go, I just don't agree with that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, 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 as a, uh, I, as a mediocre raider and Untapped user, um, appreciate that your understanding of people having their own opinions and yeah. not like raging out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes people aren't, you know, sometimes you do exactly what you set out to do and people just don't care for that um to me that doesn't make a ton of sense if, if you know you don't like something and you try it and then you think it's terrible it's like okay well you went into that knowing you weren't going to like it um but if you truly knew what the brewer was trying to accomplish and you didn't like it and you have some feedback you know i i love seeing that kind of stuff you know yeah. it's it's great to read that yeah definitely. that sort of information well and, and hearing that you guys even listen to that type of information and it then gets communicated to the folks who are brewing it or tasting it like it it, it means a lot i think to the craft beer community that that is even listened to at all yeah um it's yeah, it's definitely listened to. I wouldn't say it dictates exactly what we brew. Yeah, yeah, we're sure, not going to let the sure. consumer be the brewmaster, but um, we're definitely listen to advice and maybe apply it to a new beer or something mm-hmm. else that we're working on. I um, think that goes for any any sort of creative field. To, yeah. you, you 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 have to stick to like what your goal or what your like your vision is. But it's always nice to have that feedback and to just kind of see how that could play into it, not necessarily like you said dictate it. Yeah, yeah. So, have you always been in the beer industry? Uh, I have. I went to college for industrial engineering at Virginia Tech, go Hokies, and <laughs> uh, graduated. Well, before I graduated, I took a year off to do a, an internship at Johnson & Johnson, a uh, big company, um, you know, Listerine and uh, <laughs> um, pharmaceutical distributions. I did a year of that. And mm. during that time, I discovered craft beer and started homebrewing and said, oh, wow, this is really fun. And, and I worked in the cubicle and, and kind of did that thing while I was uh, interning with them. And then when I started homebrewing, I said, this is a lot more fun. I, w- I would like to do this uh, instead of working in a cube and working on spreadsheets. So when I went into my senior year at Tech, uh, wrapping up my degree, I 
started, I took a brewing science class at Virginia Tech. It's just okay. like a fun course. Um, and it exposed me to some folks that I asked to interview for some papers I was working on and, you know, pass along my resume. And um, I was able to get a job as a uh, keg washer and truck driver Whoa. for a small brewery <laughs> called Capital City Brewing Company in, in D.C. And that was my first brewing job out of college was uh, hmm. a very low, uh, probably below minimum wage right now uh, <laughs> at the time. Um, and that was my job when I graduated was, you know, an hourly, uh, truck driver, keg washer. And that was the beginning of it. So I've been in craft beer ever since, um, oh, I've been out of school. That's so. amazing. Yeah. So that's really I, cool to see that you could turn that like homebrewing passion into yeah, I, this career that you've started. I think a lot of, a lot of folks that want to get into brewing, you kind of have to just kick down doors. It's yeah. kind of hard to go. Even folks that go right to brewing education, it's still kind of hard to get a job. You sort of have to start on the bottom of the totem pole mm-hmm. at most places. They're not looking to hire someone and be like, oh, here's the keys to the car start driving so um they want you to kind of learn the ins and outs and start from the bottom and work your way up so i I got to brew at capital city i worked there for a couple of years and then i transitioned to victory um a little over six years ago and uh i've been there ever since worked um in the bottling line the keg line uh brew house cellar and then kind of worked up to my my role now yeah exactly like you said you worked your way up that's awesome yeah it worked out very well for me I, i really um maybe just struck when the iron was hot as mm. far as a company that was growing at the right time and an industry that was booming. Um, there's definitely a little luck to anyone's success. You know, there's no doubt about that. But So you uh, don't drive the truck anymore, I guess. Is... I don't drive the truck anymore. Right, we have professional right. truck drivers at Victory. It's not the guys <laughs> that are uh, brewing the beer are also delivering it like they were at that smaller brewery that I was at in, in D.C. and yeah, Virginia. Yeah. So um it but seems- it was it was fun to you know wheel around the hand truck and drive to the city and mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah I, i'm sure it, it it's kind of like you hit the ground running right you you learn a lot about the industry from a ground level like a literally ground level um i i'm sure i've i've missed a bit of that in in my craft beer career right i'm only on the consumer side right mm-hmm. i don't know anything about the distribution i don't know anything about um dealing with sellers or anything like that and oh, so yeah. it's it, it sounds like something that once you do kind of get your foot in the door, um, you you want to dig a little deeper. You want to see what the industry is like. Um, and especially, it, it sounds like it was pretty welcoming, too, to the idea of uh, taking you from, what, if you would, that bottom level to something that can really help you thrive in that industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I hear that story, I guess, a lot with a lot of folks in, in the brewing industry. It's pretty common. I, I would certainly say I don't have, you know, a unique story as far as like starting home brewing, starting from the bottom and working my way up. I, I would say probably most most brewmasters have, have had a pretty similar career. Not that I'm a brewmaster at Victory, um, but I think a lot of folks have had that sort of similar path. But it's definitely a different beast at a larger brewery, um, you know, working at the smaller pub setting that I was at beforehand and knowing that the only place that your beer was was at your pubs and you had direct uh, control over your beer at all times because it was coming out of the tap lines that you were also responsible for cleaning oh, yeah, and now seeing you know victory beer that has to ship across the country um and might get to a customer and i don't know what warehouse conditions it was in it, it's a completely different game as you start to scale up and you and you distribute nationally and to see you know we have a full sales force you know full marketing team it, it, there's so many more layers when you get a lot larger that have been really fascinating to me and um a really fun challenge to to try to think of beers that'll be successful not just at our immediate tap rooms that but, but could be successful to customers all over the country yeah that makes a lot of sense i can imagine there's a little more anxiety about what the final quality product oh, to the consumer is going to be that's huge yeah that is huge um we care a lot about our quality we take our customer complaints very seriously uh we have a great lab te- uh entire lab team running qualitative analysis on all of our brands so 
if we do get a complaint, we're we're jumping all over it. We're opening cans in the brewery and making and finding out what the what the heck got, went wrong. Do you still homebrew? I don't homebrew anymore. I, uh. I lost the. Uh, it's I don't know what a good analogy would be, but it, it's. I suppose chefs go home and still cook, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, but it's, it's a chefs different. love to eat other chefs' food, though. Yeah. I think that's a great analogy because you'll. I mean, Chef's Feed is a, a social app that here in LA is huge, where chefs will say, "I love the dish at X restaurant," and yeah. when I'm off, that's where I go. Yeah, and I think it, it, there probably is that same sort of analogy in the brewing industry, where you're like, "I want to. I really love to drink, you know, X brewery's beer, even yes. though." My whole entire life is victory. Yeah. We, I mean, we, we are still homebrewing essentially on the R&D system. So we get to mm-hmm. still experiment and try a lot of things that I probably would be doing if I was homebrewing at my house. Um, my life has changed pretty dramatically having a couple kids and my house is full of toys right now instead of uh, <laughs> yeah. small kettles and other things. So uh, oh yeah, the, the free time kind of goes out the window as well. But it, it, it's nice to have that kind of focus at work to sort of be experimenting and also be able to come home and have beer that I know we can kind of hit out of the park um, with our main brands. So Nice. Well, I think speaking of quality beer, why don't we uh, move on to yeah. what we're actually going to have today since we've spent all this time talking and not drinking anything. Yeah, I've been, I've been looking at that pint, just yeah, that, that plastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the one yeah. sitting there. Need that, need that. All right, so this week, um, being that we have uh, James here from Victory, we have Victory's homegrown dry hopped lager, which obviously is by Victory Brewing. Uh, it is a lager. It is 4.8% ABV. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, let's get it open and get it tried. Okay, so now we've got it poured out here. It's nice golden color. Lots of bubbles floating up in there. The the hop aroma there, like that, just jumps right out at you. Mm. Yeah, I love the smell. Yeah. I, I absolutely love the smell. I get this um, almost like farm farm like quality. Like the the imagery on the can or the mm-hmm. bottle evokes such a california type aesthetic where you've got like just these open fields of yeah. uh, hops and and crops and everything and it it makes me feel like growing up in the central valley light crisp sunny it's a beautiful can too yeah. I, I should say like i love i love the branding love the packaging thank you uh, it, it really stands out in in terms of it's really hard i'm sure to stand out on the shelves these days um it is <laughs> especially i mean we did just pick up uh a bunch of modern times cans yeah. and just the we we had our entire design episode and they while they don't put their cans on the shelves it is just completely out of left field it doesn't follow any of their design patterns it's just yeah. we made a thing look wild um and i think Victory's brand and Victory's, um, especially this can here, this bottle, it just feels so, again, homegrown. It's got the red, white, blue. It's It feels very American, very uh, Californian, even though not, you know, not yeah. from California. Yeah, I mean, um, we really wanted to accent how much hops we actually put into this beer. You know, uh, we use hops pretty aggressively in homegrown, and, and we wanted to make sure people knew that just looking at the label, and I think it's pretty clear that you're looking at a hop field, and, you know, you yeah. got... Pop cones hanging off the side of the neck and the and the bodies, which is and then that pretty cool that victory V standing out there. Yeah, that's that's classic. Yeah, that's definitely classic. <laughs> so so I see it's it's dry hopped, uh, brewed and dry hopped. It says with six American hop varieties, including Azaka. I can never get that one. What's the Azaka? I say Azaka. Okay. Um, Azaka, Azaka. I'm gonna um, take your your word on that one. Yeah. It, everyone has their own way of saying that one. The rest are pretty straightforward. Citra and Mo Mosaic. Um. But yeah, Azaka, Azaka. 
I'm not sure exactly how to say that one, but uh, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll, we'll figure it out eventually. Well, hop growers like to name their hops. Uh, they have pretty unique names for their hops for sure, and they don't make it easy on a lot of consumers on how to say half these hop names. At least in my opinion. But that that one's a newer hop variety. Uh, it's only been in the market for you know the last several years. Citra Mosaic a little bit longer, with Citra being the oldest of those three, but. Citra Mosaic are definitely your heavy hitter hops that you you've probably seen on a lot of beers right now, and and throwing AZ um, Azaka in there as well just really makes that aroma kind of burst. And then we used a couple other American classics with Centennial, Cascade, and Chinook, and those were used on the hot side production of the beer. So you have six different hops total. Uh, those three that are outlined were the ones that we dry hopped the beer with. All that ah, equal okay. rates. So that that dry hopping definitely helped that aroma stand out. Like as soon as I put that glass up to my face, I could just I could get all of that yeah. delicious aroma in there. Yeah. It was a beer we we really wanted to make a beer that was going to be satisfying to your hop heads, but also something that you weren't totally bogged down with. I mean, yeah. I love big, heavy, dank and uh rich IPAs and double IPAs, but I can't you know, drink an IPA at lunch and then drink them for the rest of the day and, you know, still be functioning. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I for physically sure. can, but I shouldn't be. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it, it, they can be kind of like resinous. Like I love those, you know, real sticky type IPAs. Yeah, they're delicious. Um, but it's it, it doesn't really I mean, looking at how kind of light and golden this is, too, you don't want to dig in and be like, oh, this is just way too bitter. Even if it is a light beer, alcohol wise, yeah. um, it, it, you don't want it to just kind of linger so much that you can't continue to have that same beer, either in a 12 ounce can or a 12 ounce bottle. Yeah. And we really had a, a low bitter spec for this beer. We were shooting between 35 and 40 BUs. Um, when you get into more bitter beers, they do start to weigh down on your palate. They'll linger, mm-hmm. and the, the effect will kind of take this, you know, exponential effect on your tongue. That towards the end, it's like, oh god, I'm totally numb to everything now because yeah. of all this bitterness. So yeah. again, the point, you know, with the lower ABV was also lower bitterness, but to still have that great hoppy aromatic that that folks really enjoy and want to drink the beer. Yeah, know? and I I get that a hundred percent. Like it's a it's um it's it's crisp. It it's definitely um like how said like refreshing sort of it invokes that like it's been a hot day out doing chores. You want something to it's like to throw back. Day beer, yep. Yeah, exactly. And it at four point eight percent, I mean that's like you said, that's easy to you could have a couple of days and oh, have yeah. no problem. No problem. And um that the bitterness, I mean, even like you said with six hops in there, um, I'm not getting any sort of like lingering bitterness honestly just it's it's leaving me refreshed and wanting to keep going honestly more than anything yeah it's it this is sort of like quintessential lawnmower beer have you you ever heard that term like (laughs) oh yeah absolutely out out here we we have a lot of lawns to mow yeah (laughs) i would say we don't have a lot of lawns not in la not in la (laughs) i did just buy a house and that lawn is huge but is it is it living it is living oh yeah it's not brown no 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 it's definitely yeah well I'm thinking about getting a sit-down mower. That's the kind of lawn that oh, that wow. is. You okay, know? that'll be so, fun. You so, can put a cup holder on cup, it. You cup holder here, koozie, <laughs> or, or just the hat. Just Maybe just the hat with the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this seems like the, the exact type of beer for that, type, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. And we have... So we have cans and bottles. Yes. Um, I assume that would be what it's coming. What sort of uh, availability is there on this? Because I know, obviously, we got it special here. Yes. Um, we distribute this in most of our markets. I'm not 100% sure how much of it makes it out to the West Coast besides this special shipment you guys have. You might, you might be some of the only folks drinking you yeah. know, homegrown in California right now. Uh, the three of us. Some people. Yeah. Thank you, Kelly, for sending so much homegrown. Oh, yes. Shout out for all of this. 
But yes, we, we distribute both the cans and the bottles. The cans are definitely uh, blowing up right now as far as popularity. We, we started doing a 15-pack of the cans, and that, that package uh, format is, is really popular. People absolutely love it, um, yeah. getting those extra three cans in there. Nice. So obviously, I, I feel like everybody has heard of lagers and to a degree knows dry hop, but what, what makes a dry hopped lager unique or special? So you're taking a little bit more of that fermentation character that you get really aggressively. And most of your IPAs is going to be ale driven, right? So you're going to have a lot of esters from that ale fermentation. And a lot of the lagers are just a different type of aromatic that you'd get than from your ales. So it's going to be a little bit cleaner. It's going to be a little crisper. Okay. Um, I think you could really tell it, maybe not so much in the aroma of the beer. I think the aroma is probably more similar to a, a, a session IPA almost in the sense that you have a lot of hop aromatics and that's the main player. You don't really get too many esters from the fermentation characteristic, but when you drink it, it's very clean. Um, it's that light bitterness and it dries out in a hurry and that really makes it kind of refreshing and you can go back and, and drink a lot of it. And that has a lot to do with the lager fermentation. Yeah. That's something that we at Victory are, are pretty darn good at. Um, we make a few excellent lagers with our uh, Prima Pills and our Hellas and our Best Beer. So we really took the same knowledge that we had with that and just hopped it more aggressively with American hops and then dry hopped it very aggressively. Uh, it's dry hopped more aggressive than one of our double IPAs. Actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's intense. Is yeah. this, in, in terms of the types of hops being used, it does mention uh, whole flower hops. Yes. Is there any difference between the way that you would do that for, say, this uh, dry hop lager versus, like you were saying, you know, double IPAs and yeah. things like that? The, the technique is still the same, but Victory is very big on using whole flower hops. So you, the way hops grow, you know, on the vine is exactly how they look on this can. They look you know, they're a beautiful All closed cone. up, yeah. Yeah, and um, when they're picked off the bind and they're processed, you can either have them remain as dried whole flour, which is what we brew with. There's a couple other large American craft breweries that brew with whole flour, but then the, the, the vast majority gets pelletized hops, which yes. is just taking that hop and compacting it into a pellet. It has a different shelf storage ability. It's obviously smaller. It's more compact. So it's really well-suited for a lot of breweries that are a little bit more restricted on space, or they just have different hop needs that they're going to get a lot of different hops in all the time and they're constantly brewing with something new then they might want to just spot buy you know a box of this and a box of that and that's pretty hard to do with baled hops where typically if you if you bail them you want to get them in pretty soon and keep them in your storage and use them as, as quickly as you can so we at victory have always used whole flower hops we've been a big proponent of it um i'm part of a team that goes out to yakima washington every year and hand rubs the hops and makes our lot selection oh, so amazing. for example the citro or the mosaic that's in this beer next year Myself, a couple of the brewing managers, VP of Brewing, we'll, we'll all go out there. They'll put six or eight lots of hops in front of us, all from Citra, and we, we rub them all and we say, we want lot you know, B or whatever to, to put towards our contract for next year. Wow. That's what we'll get in. So just so I can clarify, whole flower, the cone is considered the whole flower? Yes. Okay. If it's a hop cone, that's what's called whole flower. Okay, because I, so, I picture a flower when it says flower. No, it but, looks... So the cone is technically like the... The flower. Oh, okay. So it looks exactly like it does on this yeah, bottle. When we say whole cone or whole flower, it okay. looks exactly like that. So, you know, some of the differences between whole flower and, and pelletized is you have that less processing. And, and yeah. you know, maybe I've been at Victory long enough and brewing with whole flower long enough, but I do think there's a distinct difference between whole flower and... And some of the other larger breweries like Sierra Nevada or Deschutes, they're big whole flower breweries as well. And I think there's a slightly different aromatic and taste um, on their beers and our beers versus some of the other breweries that use a pelletized hop. That's, uh, that's really interesting because I, I can kind of 
that just thinking back of, of the names that you mentioned, that it does kind of, I get sort of the same vibe from the hopped beers that yeah. I've had from those places. I assume you also say take the same tact for things like fresh hops during this type, like this season, or yeah. is that, so, I mean, does that come from Washington? Where would that come from? They typically come from Washington. So wet hop beers are very big. Um, we used to do them but we stopped a couple of years ago. The logistics of getting the hops from Washington all the way to Pennsylvania yeah. proved to be a little bit more uh, headache than it was worth. <laughs> sure, uh, in sure. the, our last couple of years, we were paying a refrigerated driver to drive across the country in two-man teams to get the hops there as fast oh as my possible. Gosh, I oh, can't even wow. imagine. Versus some of these West Coast breweries that are right there next yeah. to Washington that could get them in just a few hours. Um, wet hops make for amazing beers. You're not even drying the hop out. You're picking it from the vine and you're adding it into the brewing process in the span of a couple hours or for us a couple days because it does take a while to get them across the country yeah but is there no victory no victory jet there's no victory jet not yet we we should look into that We're, we uh can, i mean if if you guys can overnight beer here in fedex why can't you fedex the wet hops the, the quantity that we're talking about an entire 53 foot truck full uh, of hops but i mean okay so you just pack a bunch of smaller boxes there you go <laughs> <laughs> i do like the idea of a plane i'll, I'll pitch that to our team and see if Put they a get absorbed that on cost. the tail yeah It'd be amazing that'll be the first like 50 dollars four pack yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice so it, you mentioned r&d and your lab and trying a bunch of different styles uh, you i think there was mentioned that like the homegrown series kind of was birthed out of this r&d phase um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Like well, how did, how did this come to be? So we knew we wanted to go after, a, an aggressively dry hopped American hopped Pilsner. We, we had that space in mind from an R and D perspective, but we just had to figure out how to tackle it. So we started doing all these iterations and kind of going simple with, you know, using Citra or using Simcoe or using maybe one or two hops on a Pilsner base. That was going to be pretty similar to what you guys have. You know, we, we knew we wanted to keep it light, blonde. Um, probably just one, maybe two malts, but really keep the malt character relatively subdued and focus on the hops. And we kept trying all these things and we were tasting them. And I'd always think this is good, but I don't know if I want to drink 10 of these. You know, the, the point was to kind of make something that I want, want to drink and couldn't stop drinking and really enjoyed. Um, so we finally got to the point that we were pretty much ready to go on field, you know, and, and get this beer rolling on a production scale. And I looked at Ron and Scott, the, the VP of brewing and the, and the owner, uh, founder of, Bre of Victory Brewing. And we're about to roll into it. And I kind of said, like, let's do an audible and let's do a principle that has been very successful us, for us in our Pilsner, which was Prima, which has a combination of several noble hops. And we applied that same principle to this beer, applying a lot of different American hops. So you're not just hit with a single note of citrus or a single note of grapefruit or, or cattiness or whatever. Um, you sort of have this nice aroma of kind of just all the whole flowers working together and, and making a really unique aroma and flavor for the beer that I think doesn't get too boring. It has enough complexity to keep you interested without bogging you down, like I said, with over ABV or over bitterness or anything like that. So well, You can end up in sort of a muddled bit of hop blend sometimes as you well can. where where you end up like oh seven hops and, yes. and i can't distinguish i i get that it is very uniquely like rogue i think is a good example where they do mention seven distinct hops but uh i it, couldn't pick out i couldn't no. i couldn't tell you you're exactly right i think there, there's a perfect balance of creating complexity without over complicating it and making right. something that is just a little bit messy yeah and you know, I think we sort of hit the nail on the head, not to toot our own horn, but I guess that's kind of why I'm, why I'm here. But yeah, please do. 
I, uh, I was really happy with how this beer came out and I'm glad we kind of, you know, took a last minute look and said like, scrap the playbook, let's start over and run this play. And, and I, I really think it came out killer. So that was sort of the first, uh, largely R and D focused beer that we, we really went through. I mean, anywhere from 15 to 20 iterations. Okay. Well, that was going to be my next question. Yeah, how, yeah. how long did it take to kind of settle on a recipe? It was months. It, it, it was probably about nine months, I think. Okay. Before we started to what we finally had in the, in the glass. And do you, when you're trying to do these, these R and D batches, like I, I know, um, you know, if I do a, a one gallon homebrew kit, um, I need to sit on it for a couple of weeks to let it, you know, ferment and process. Like what's oh, your, yeah. what's like, are you guys doing multiple and waiting? Or are you doing one, trying another, trying another? We like to do multiple and wait because of that fermentation time. When you, when you have that, especially with a lager. So lagers are also slower fermenters than yeah. ales. Ales you can typically rip through their fermentation in anywhere from five to seven days. Some lagers take 10 to 14 days, if not longer. And then they have to kind of clean up a little bit more than ales do and take more time to lager um, that is aging as well. So when you have all those things and you're working on an R&D project, you really have to think like, okay, I did this, sit and wait. You know, it's not like you have something that you tried to cook and you go, I could taste this in like 15 minutes when it's done. It's like, I can taste this in 30 days or longer, depending on what style you're making. So, so so you would take the recipe and like do minor, like uh, maybe not minor, but you would do, you would take what you were trying to experiment with change it a little bit, yeah. put that in, change it a little bit, put another one in. And so you just, you kind of had in mind like some iterations and you'd let them all sit. And We would have at least two going at once and okay. then we'd probably make tweaks on that. We're getting a little bit smarter as we get more into R&D and, and myself and Brad, our R&D lead brewer, will now often take a batch and maybe split it up four different ways Oh, okay. and try four different things with it if oh, we're working on something new. If we're like, hey, I'm really happy with this base beer, but I know I'm going to want to try to dry hop it with X, Y, and Z. right. right. All separately, instead of brewing three different batches, we'll split it up and, and try to uh, do each batch separately. So then we could taste them all at once, make changes, react, and, and kind of move forward. That makes a lot of sense. Well, it sounds like, too, just to take the, the cooking analogy a little bit farther, you can't just take a brewed beer and then add salt to it and say, like, oh, yeah, let me just change this a little bit, add a little bit of complexity, and then, oh, this tastes better. You do need to just kind of start from scratch, change the recipe and then make that again, I assume. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's, It's a much longer process. It's a much longer process. So it's nice when you have a lot of good experiences to draw upon. You know, we're not, like I said, unless we're trying something totally new, that sometimes, and we are trying some things that occasionally where we brew it, and we go, this could be a total failure, dump it out and start all over again. Yeah. Luckily, we have that half barrel system that we have that creative freedom. We only got that a year and a half ago. And before that, we were brewing our R&D stuff on our large brew house half oh, wow. batch sizes. And it was like... That's going to take a production time, It too. was life in the fast lane as yeah. far as like the pressures of like kind of getting it right off the bat. And yeah. Really not taking that many risks. Now we have a lot more freedom to take a lot more risks. So hmm. hopefully in the future, you know, everyone listening to this and, and liking Victory Beer will get to see things that they're like, wow, I can't believe Victory came up with, you know, X, Y, or Z. And, and right. Really like, enjoying uh, it. Especially with something like this, do you see yourselves taking kind of the, the thought of these combinations of hops and applying it to another beer or taking what you've learned from this in R&D and applying it directly to a specific recipe? Probably more of the latter, taking what we learned from this and, and applying it more to different recipes or different, okay. different new recipes. Different, different dry hopping techniques, like on top of something yeah. that you've done before. Different dry hopping combinations. But we are getting into a lot more different dry hopping techniques. Mm-hmm. That is sort of uh, an area that a lot of brewers are exploring now is not just the standard of you dry hop at this point in the process. And that's that. Now people are saying, 
what if I dry hop here? What if I dry hop there at this temperature, at this, um, you know, yeast and suspension rate, whatever it is. There, there's so many different techniques that the brewer can use and that is openly exploring with that is making completely different beers. I, is there a specific style driving that right now? Is it the IPA. hazy IPA trend? Yeah, IPA is kind of driving everything for yeah. craft. It, it is the number one style that, you know, craft drinkers are, are consuming and craft brewers are making. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, and I'm sure you, you can't, you can't show your cards, but is there anything, anything specific that you guys are R and Ding that we might be able to keep an eye out for? Or I, I can say there are definitely things I, I cannot show the cards. So uh, 2019, that will be an exciting year. Okay, awesome. It's, it's like a an artist saying they have a new song coming out yeah. or something. Like Dro- dropping, yeah. dropping next year. Yeah, yeah where, where's where's the victory EP before yeah. the, before the LP comes? Well, out. the singles. We got this. We got yeah. the singles. So we're, they're working their way. Yeah. Out. yeah. But then again, music's all about the singles now, right? Yeah. Uh, I guess we're not dropping a whole album, but I, we have a couple singles that we're really excited <laughs> about right now. So perfect. 2019. I, I'm very excited to see uh, what people think of these new singles and uh, perfect. Hopefully, they want to listen to them again and again, and, and hope <laughs> hopefully they'll make it to the West Coast a little bit. Yeah, I hope so too. Or we'll just keep in touch. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right, let's put you on the spot a second. Okay. Um, what is your favorite victory beer? It's Prima Pills. Okay. Going with the classic. Yeah, I Prima's why I wanted to work for Victory. Okay. Prima was that beer that I was just like, this beer is so exceptional and unique. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanna know what went into the construction of this. I want to be a part of this beer and it's still my favorite beer. It is it is my go to beer at Victory. Uh if I'm at the bar after work, you know, I get a half liter of that. That makes perfect sense. I've I've had Prima Pills, yeah. um, and it is delicious for sure. And um I think I was, we were talking, um, sour, I've had the sour monkey Yes, and that was a really great sour. Yeah. Sour monkey's killer. It's definitely, uh, got such a nice blend of its acidity and it's, it's still rather drinkable for nine and a half percent, but, uh, we do that natural kettle acidification to make that beer and it's, it's starts as golden monkey and it morphs into something that is totally different, uh, from golden monkey, which the only thing they share is really their hopping and their malt. Um, everything else about that beer is pretty, pretty different from each other in the glass. Sorry, I'm looking up my, my check-ins as well. Uh, Did you I, try Prima? Um, I, well, I had Golden Monkey and Sour Monkey on the same day. Okay. Um, and That's I'm, a good day. I, yeah, I'm trying to find <laughs> out. Trying to find out. So I had this. Uh, we've got these places that are wristband RFID-based self-serve beer taps. Okay. So, so you get a glass. There are 50 taps on the wall. I've heard of those. And you walk up, you beep on it, and you 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 tap up to whatever, from one ounce to however much you want. And it charges you per ounce. And it charges you it's per like ounce. It's gasoline. It, it really, it <laughs> definitely is. Uh, it's a lot more expensive, that's for yeah. sure. But it's really cool because you can try a whole bunch of different stuff all at once. Yeah. And especially in in the instance where I see two victory beers up there, I'm like, I want to try both of these. Yeah. Um, is that something you've done before? Is that... I've never done that particular okay. way of uh, having beers, but I definitely appreciate the smaller pours and the places that do allow you to, to do half pours or, or you know, I, I like at least four ounces just to get a good perception of a beer. I think any smaller than that's kind of hard to really evaluate. Yeah. But as someone that does like to try a lot of different beers, I, I do appreciate that smaller pour option. I have had Hop Devil. Okay. Summer Love. Summer Love, yeah. Did that one. That was a while ago, though. Yeah. Uh, Prima Pills, Sour Monkey. I've had the Feist beer. Fest, Fest, beer, beer, Fest, Fest beer, beer, excuse yeah, me. Yeah, that's the Oktoberfest. That's one of my favorites as well. I I love me- Oktoberfest beers. Okay. Anything like Mars and Oktoberfest. Yeah. I love the malty yes. character. Hmm. Um, I just two weeks ago, I was at the store and I'm like, Sierra Nevada's Oktoberfest is out already? Yep. 
I'm going to get it just yeah. because I can. <laughs> I'm really weird about Oktoberfest where I need to wait until September. Sure. It's like it's like people who it's like people who start setting up for Christmas mid-November. Yes. I I don't know. Do you guys have a lot of pumpkin beers in California? <laughs> yes. Pumpkin, okay. It, it is definitely well, we we have more pumpkin spice latte out here than okay. we do like pumpkin, pumpkin beers. Beer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but the pumpkin beers are already heavily in market right now in Pennsylvania. Mm. And the folks that love them love them. Um I'm not the biggest pumpkin beer fan, but our sister brewer Southern Tier makes a great pumpkin beer, pumpkin. Yes. Oh my god. It's, it's very good. Yes. Uh, it is just killer from the pumpkin perspective and with all the spices and everything that that beer has going on. But to me, it has such a seasonal place yeah. that uh, I only want it at certain times sure. of the year. So it's sort of like that with our fest beer. I love our fest beer. Physically, I could drink it all year, but I kind of make this own like Personal moral choice, stance yeah. of like waiting till September. Completely understand. That. Yeah. It's like, I, I feel that way with um, with celebration from Sierra Nevada. Like, yeah. it, that's, <laughs> that's holidays and ringing in the new year for me. Even though like, you know, you think Christmas, holidays, New Year, like it's wintry. You want something like a little bit warmer and darker. But like to me, celebration and then anchors Christmas. Those are my two like seasonal. Yep. Yeah. I, they're like classics. They set a certain time frame for me. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I completely I, I get that. And I understand like I would agree. But I just that's like a style that I always go to. So I had to dig in early. Yeah. I couldn't help myself. Yeah, that's my sort of like dawn of fall. So I try to wait to September mm. uh, as much as I physically can. So. We, we start distributing our fest beer in August, so I'm just stubborn for the first month. But I do really appreciate a good fest beer, multi-style. I mean, it's it's very, uh, it's just so seasonally perfect at that time. I guess you guys don't have, your fall's not as intense as our fall. What's fall? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, what, yeah. Se- what, what are seasons? <laughs> what are seasons? <laughs> All we know is hot. Yeah. If any of you had this one, let us know what you thought on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at Untapped. And while you're at it, go ahead and tag at Victory Beer as well. All right, let's look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. We're kind of bucking the uh, the whole format thing. We do want to take a look, though, at what's happening in the industry right now and maybe get the perspective of someone who is uh, in in the industry and living beer, breathing beer, maybe bathing beer as well. <laughs> that's, that's a nice segue here into our first article. Um, this one actually comes from usmagazine.com. Um, Beer baths are now a thing thanks to this Japanese resort, and they're reportedly good for your health. I would never have thought. <laughs> I, oatmeal bath, sure, this, I've heard of. This is actually part of the R&D department. They're, oh. they're, they're bathing in some of these beers just to maybe try them with soaps, or um, we've talked a lot about candles in the past. I, you're trying to like com- you know create the entire bathing experience. Can you imagine the lab like... Just full of bathtubs. Just a, a beer spa, maybe. <laughs> well, that's what's going on here. Yeah. That's exactly what this is. So uh, this article, why just drink beer when you can bathe in it? I mean, I guess that's a good point. Yeah, why, Sh- why not take shower beers to the next level, shower right? Shower beers to the next level. I love it. <laughs> At the Hinotani Onsen, a hot spring located within the uh, Misugi Resort about two hours from Kyoto, Japan, um, a beer bath is quickly becoming one of the most popular spa activities. The new concept combines homemade Japanese craft beer from neighboring Hinotani Brewery with natural hot spring water every 30 minutes, and the result is a hazy and foamy liquid that resembles a dark lager. Wait, is this where the hazy IPAs came from? (laughs) 
Are we just drinking bath water? Yep. It tastes like it sometimes, yeah. Oh. oh, <laughs> oh. Um, Thrown shade, sorry. <laughs> uh, according to the uh, Masugi website, the libation contains live yeast um, and enzymes in the malt, and that kind of leaves your skin feeling soft and fresh. I mean, I guess I could see that. It makes sense to some degree. It's a, it's a, I feel like it's an odd, it's a very expensive bath. I wonder how much this costs. Um, I'm sure we could find out. <laughs> yes, actually, I've, that's that's towards the end of my outline here, but uh, we can skip there. It costs about $15 for a 45-minute session. That is not that expensive. No, I'm more than willing to try this if I go to Kyoto. I'm wondering, they, though, if this would be something that they would then take the leftover bath water and then <laughs> brew. No way. <laughs> this has Bottle to depend enough. on... $15 for an entire bath full of beer? Take, t- take your bathwater to go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. They this, also, th- they- this one's kettle soured with me. <laughs> oh, my God. Dry, dry hopped with Kyle. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Uh, the carbonic acid and antibacterial properties of the um, hops actually clean your skin is something else they say and keep you healthy. And, I mean, we've discussed the, um, like, hmm. antimicrobial sort of disinfecting characteristics of the chemicals um, within hops. Um, a lot of that used for kind of like the, uh, the, like with the, when we talk about the aging and the Imperial um, IPA yeah. and like the whole um, fortifying it for longer storage times, mm-hmm. um, some of those acids in there are having like positive effects. I know we talked about, um, I believe it was hops being good for hair. I, I, like you said, the oatmeal, it really is kind of all I can really think about. Wheat, oatmeal, sort of the, the, the lotion-y type characteristics mm-hmm. of, of beer being applied to... Um, I don't know. There's something maybe about the pH also that is sort of impacting this. I see from a completely non-scientific point of view, this just sounds like fun to me. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It seems like more of a gimmick to me than anything that would actually be really like they say here. um, Though the claims haven't been scientifically proven, hardly deterring people from taking part in this unique experience. I'm wondering what kind of beer they use for it to only be $15 to fill a whole bathtub. I mean, if we went out and bought some milkshake IPAs, it would cost a lot more than $15 for a four-pack, and that's hardly going to be <laughs> a puddle in the back. your head, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a kiddie pool. It's just a tiny, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, there's a quote here from one of the uh, co-owners, Yuki Nakagawa. Um, the yeast in the beer gives you very smooth skin, and the hops have an antibacterial power that is also good for your skin. Uh, this was in an... Uh, this is in an article with Travel and Leisure. Um, and they also say, on top of that, the CO2 in the beer is good for blood circulation. These are a lot of claims. Yeah, it, it, you can't. I mean, beer is definitely not a cure-all. And it, it you can, it, 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 yeah, it, it sounds more like um, I would do this for the gram. And that's about it. Yeah, that's for sure. I've, I've, uh... Anyone listening this far in has heard my background, and I'm not a doctor, but I don't think there's a lot of truth in half of these claims. But uh, <laughs> I say we all go to Japan and give it a shot. I mean, for 15 bucks, it's not so bad. This is true. Yep, yep. I'm in. Our next article comes from craftbeer.com. This one is for you, Kyle. Uh, Malt and Hop Shop, the scoop on milkshake IPAs. Ah, uh, the scoop, I get it. Because you... Cause the scoop into the milk and you make them yeah yep Mm -hmm. we're good just when you think the ipa obsession has reached its plateau the milkshake ipa adds another dimension to perhaps the broadest and most popular beer style out there which i think we can all agree to that ipa really is what's going on 
um, with no set definition of what a milkshake IPA actually is. Um, this article defines it as a style of IPA that introduces lactose into the brewing process, um, often with the addition of some sort of fruit. So I've noticed that any sort of milkshake IPA that I've seen that has lactose usually has some kind of a fruit component in it. Hmm. And I know you, anytime you see milkshake, you're going for it. What would you think of vanilla? Because I did give you that uh, toolbox. I have not milkshake. had that yet. You got And try. to be honest, like the idea of the, now something dark yeah. with vanilla in it, I'm cool with. But the idea of something light like an IPA with vanilla, I haven't been able to wrap my head around. It's a little more bath-like and a little less, uh, <laughs> you know, IPA-like. I, I guess. Get it. I get I mean, it. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I have to try that one still. Yeah. And um, this does mention that um, vanilla and vanilla beans are actually a popular addition in milkshake IPAs. So it's obviously not out of the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, these milkshake IPAs, they're lighter in appearance, thicker in body. Um, and you, like, they're like New England IPAs. Um, they're very similar. Uh, but obviously there's a little bit of a difference with the whole idea of adding this lactose to give it a little bit of a, a thicker body, kind of that creamier sort of dairy feel so the use of lactose is really it's traditionally been um used in english style sweet stouts um commonly referred to as milk stouts but the use of it like you said kind of like trying to vary upon other styles now that it's being used in ipas yeah um it's really interesting it really lends that residual sweetness that to me is is very distinct of the new england style where you have a, a much fuller, richer body than you do on your West Coast IPA, which was traditionally higher bitterness and very dry. Yep. Also crystal clear. Yes. Yeah. And now then you started going hazy yep. and you went to the extreme with New England and milkshake in New England, I think are shades of gray um, as far as the clarity perspective, both to me should be opaque, but hazy can be, you have hazy little thing from Sierra Nevada. I could see my fingers on the other side of the glass. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that hazy means it's going to be completely opaque. Mm. This is true. Mm-hmm. And it says that um, many, many brewers actually point to Tired Hands, which we talked about today, um, and Omnipolo as being a couple of the uh, people who have really started to um, popularize this milkshake style. Yeah. Now, Omnipolo, I can definitely speak to. I have an Omnipolo um, milkshake stout I sent you. I can't remember what was in it now. Um, I sent you a picture of it, Kyle. Um, Did you? And it was intense. Omnipolo might have been the... <sighs> true innovators of the milkshake not the new england obviously you had vermont breweries that have been doing that for quite some yeah time, i think they um the alchemist is one of their they're, they're probably pointed there. at as sort of the main ones but there's so many great new england breweries that are kind of bringing that heat right now all right our last article of the day comes from washingtonbeerblog.com hazy ipa overtakes regular ipa at this year's gabf now i i read about this and I, i'm for some reason not shocked in any way no um at all it's the dominant style out there for IPAs. I mean, your classic IPA, if you look at some of the other IPA categories, I'd be curious to see what, how many entries they have for English style, which is more of your multi-IPA, mm-hmm. um, or even your West Coast IPA at this point is, yeah, people rather have more of that hazy IPA than anything else right now. So I, I know several I know several outlets kind of cover this, but um, this article that I found here... Um, it starts off by talking about how in uh, 2016, Georgetown Brewing Company won the gold medal at the uh, Great American Beer Festival, um, bringing home top honors for the hotly contested category American Style IPA. 
Um, it was an impressive victory because if for no other reason, um, their IPA ranked first among 312 beers that were entered into the category. Now that, sure, being number one among 312, that's pretty... That's very impressive. That's pretty impressive for sure. Um, no other category saw that many entrants. And um, I mean, that makes sense because obviously we know IPA is like the hot style. It's one of the starters in American craft beer. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes perfect sense. And for over a decade, IPA really reigned supreme um, at GABF, uh, which uh, it, for those of you who are listening to this and for some reason aren't familiar, that is the Great American Beer Festival. It is the largest beer festival here in um, the United States, in mm-hmm. Denver, Colorado. It's actually coming up pretty soon uh, mm-hmm. for this year, um, where they, you know all the breweries come and compete for some top honors there. So this year, things have changed a little bit. You know, with IPA, the American style IPA being the hot style, um, this year we're seeing something a little bit different. Um, since 2002, American style IPA has really been the most entered style with 408 entries in 2017. Yeah. That's insane. Um, and 312 in 2016 when um, Georgetown took top honors there. Uh, but earlier this year, three new beer categories were actually added to the styles that were going to be judged. And I know we, Kyle, we saw that. Um, when the Brewers Association decided to add juicy or hazy IPA, pale ale, and double IPA to their officially recognized category. Now, I know that we uh, we added those styles in Untapped um, after seeing so much, uh, so many people checking into those and it becoming such a prevalent style and really not having anywhere to categorize those. And then when the Brewers Association decided to add it in, we kind of followed suit adding it to our platform. Um, and I, some people really thought it was going to be a passing fad. And I think that's... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know. I think it's uh, to be said, like, it was cool, and um, it really did the thing. I, I, a lot of people really thought, like, it was just for the Instagram press because, you know, a cool picture of, like, this opaque orange juice-looking beer. Uh, why? <laughs> it, it didn't seem real. Yeah. Like, especially on the West Coast. I would see folks taking photos of it. I would see breweries posting photos of it, and it just seemed like... A photo. Mm-hmm. I didn't think I would ever get one. I didn't. So when I did see it out here on the West Coast, either on tap at Noble Ale Works or, you know, anywhere, I would say, I have to get that one. Yeah. And all that did was drive traffic. And now it, it I mean, Tim, you're going to get into it, but it has blown up. I mean, as an industry person, I mean, have you, you've seen the same thing, right? Yeah, I, I, I raised my hand earlier. I really thought it was going to be sort of a, a fad as far as the the really really super hazy opaque um, IPA. Maybe not the the lightly hazed one. It, that was sort of similar to say a Keller Pilsner, where you have an unfiltered Pilsner that had some of that that little bit of yeast haze to it, but not not opaque. But mm-hmm. you know, sort of like homegrown has a little bit of haze to it. I I wouldn't say it's a ridiculously haze bomb beer, but we intentionally have a little bit of haze to it. I did think it was going to be a passing thing and it really has held on tight and it is not going anywhere. The, the fact that it has its own style recognized by the Brewers Association, I'll go a step further and say that in a couple years, we might be looking at the GABF where there's a milkshake IPA category or a New England IPA category. Because like I said earlier, I do think there's a difference between a hazy IPA and a New England IPA. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if you guys are creating a a style of <laughs> this is not a hazy IPA, but this is a New England IPA or this is a milkshake IPA. Yeah. And maybe 
you know, I'll, maybe Glitter IPA. I don't know. You know, the, Brute I, is another one of those. Brute is another that, one that, that is, is growing. It, it yep. is charging hard right now. Um, All these master styles are just getting so fractured and broken down and changed so subtly. Yeah, and I so. IPA is definitely the one that I think all the brewers are riffing off the most because it is the most popular style out there. Everyone loves hoppy stuff. So to to find a new way to take hops and deliver it in a glass, people are really excited to try that. So whether that's with, you know, incorporating lactose with some of these styles and that makes, and and incorporating a new dry hop um, timing and temperature really creates a new beer. It, it's going to attract new people. People are going to keep coming back and trying it. That's true. Well, to your point, um, James, you, you mentioned, you know, everybody loves hops. For those people who don't love hops, this whole category of the juicy, hazy New England style, it actually opens the door to them because it focuses more on that juice side. I would completely agree. Than it does on like the stone IPA mess up your palate um, hop West Coast thing, you know? Yeah. And I think that that, that really is what caught on and maybe, maybe people didn't see that coming. Um, and it, I feel like it's really, as much as we might want to mock it or make fun of it, um, it's really kind of opened the door for people who might not have been into the IPA category. Without a doubt. I think, you know, years ago, IPAs, it was a race to the infinity bitterness. Unit, yeah, whoever right? could it, have was, it. it was who could get a thousand BUs in a beer. I want to rip your tongue off with bitterness. And that has changed dramatically, especially with these styles that we're talking about. My wife, Elizabeth, she is all about more of these sort of hazier um, residual sweetness, low bitterness IPAs, because she likes that fruitiness, but she didn't like the aggressive bitterness and dryness that a lot of your West Coast or old school IPAs had. So now she's drinking the hoppy stuff that used to be safe and sound in my fridge that I know that I could leave there and come back and no one would touch it. And now that, that bear, that beer is fair game for her and it's good, (laughs) but it's bad at the same time. I'm sure she's going to be listening to this and just stealing my stash from me thanks for watching the kids you got, yeah yes thank you for thank you and um there's more good stuff coming back home yeah. <laughs> now what are you talking about i mean we didn't get anything so um so okay so now we, we all that said with the idea that hazy ipa or juicy ipa or whatever you want to call it with the idea that that might have been a fad so this year at gabf there have been 414 beers entered into the juicier hazy IPA category. So that's that's more than the American IPA category from last year. Exactly. Alone. Yes, very much so. The breakdown is that there are um, uh, 414 entries into the juicy or hazy IPA. There's 131 entries into juicier hazy pale ale, and there's 161 entries into juicier hazy double IPA. I my mind is blown right now at and- that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, everyone's brewing it. You cannot go to a brewery and not find a hazy IPA right now, for now, the most part. I think the big question now is, who's going to be, who's going to take number one out of 414 entries? I don't know. That, that, uh, that'll be a nice title to take home. Someone's going to be very happy next yeah. month at GABF in, in Denver <laughs> and, and taking that crown. I mean, it definitely does a lot. You, typically, whoever mi- wins the um american ipa category at gabf i mean people are kind of going after that beer you know as soon as somebody wins whether it's uh who was one in new mexico that won um there's a brewery in albuquerque does uh does la cumbre yes ring a bell that was it okay so that was are they albuquerque 2013 that was 2013 2013 they took um they took bronze for project dank operation pharaoh's return wow from la cumbre brewing albuquerque new mexico i was way off a a few (laughs) just a few years (laughs) what a name and bronze not even oh but either way i mean it (laughs) got you thinking about it it. anytime you see a medal um 
you know, yeah, it gets you thinking. It's like, I kind of want to try that. I made sure I went to Pizza Port in Ocean Beach when I was in San Diego earlier this week because I know Pizza Port is perennial winners at the GABF. So at the very least, I know they're going to be making really good beer. Yeah. You know, I know I'm going to go there and I'm going to have a solid experience drinking really good beer. So, and yeah, everything was delicious. I mean, I didn't have a bad beer there. All right. That does it for us this week. Um, definitely want to say thank you very much for joining us, James, for coming out here and making your way up from San Diego. It was my pleasure. It was great having your your insight and learning, you know, a lot of the deeper insights behind um, this homegrown, which again, delicious. Thank you. It's, it's really good. I'm, I, we've, I've probably had at least one and a half and I'm ready for another one already. 10, maybe 15. Yeah. We've got plenty. All right. You can find show notes at podcast.untapped.com. And if you've got any questions for us, any of us, James, myself, Tim, Tim me, Kyle, you probably don't have questions for me, but that's okay. You, you might, connect, you can connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's at untap everywhere. Or if you're looking for victory, it's at victory beer at victory beer. If you're looking for me, it's at brewer James with a Z. Yeah. Happy to hear any feedback on the beer for victory, anything at all. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, send us an email. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Awesome. And uh, if you have a second, please head over to Apple podcasts to give our show a rating. Um, five stars is preferred. If you have a little bit longer, feel free to write a review. Again, we are also always listening, trying to incorporate your feedback, seeing what you have to say about the show. Um, We'd love to hear from you. All right. Until next week. Cheers. Cheers.